Bibles there to Luke chapter 19. As today we see Jesus' time to come, in verse 28 through 40, we see Jesus' tears to cry. In verses 41 through 44, and then we see Jesus' temple to clean. In verses 45 through 48, and we begin reading here. It says, when he had said this, verse 28, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. Here we see um, verse 28 when he had said this. Jesus is teaching and Jesus is traveling. He's done teaching. Now he's traveling to Jerusalem where we know that he would die on a cross and um, he would bear our sins. Um, you know, when I read that, and every time I read that, you know, throughout the scriptures, just about Jesus setting his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. Just the courage and, uh, and the obedience that he had. It's always, to me, a stimulation. Even, i got to tell you, when you watch the Passion of the Christ, you know, I think when you see the Lord just bloodied and, and, and just bludgeoned there and just the sacrifice that he was, um, one of the things it does do, I think, is it, it just, man, I can't believe he would love me so much. But then another thing, and I don't know if you guys got this, but I know I did when I watched The Passion of the Christ. I, I'm reminded of his words that said, and you take up your cross and follow me. You know? And then I, I remember that the cross is an instrument of death and how he didn't flinch from it and neither should I. And so many of you here are, are unwilling to die to your own agenda and your own life and your own feelings. You're unwilling to submit to God. And you don't, you know, I'll go anywhere but Jerusalem. And you know what? You know, that's what Christianity is all about. You know, Jesus went to the cross and he said, as I, as I took up my cross, you know, if anyone wants to come after me, take up your cross too. Let our agenda die and let us follow the Lord, you know. And that's what the Lord does. He's just on his way now to die. He's such a great example for us. And as he's about to go to Jerusalem, what he does is he sends two of his disciples into the opposite village. Now, they come to Bethany. They come to this place called Bethphage, which is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And he says, what I want you to do is to go into the village, and you're going to see a donkey there, a colt, the foal of a donkey, which is a male donkey, a young one that hasn't been castrated. It means it still has all its testosterone, right? Go and loose it. Bring it to me. And if the owner says, what's up, just tell him, hey, the master has need of it. And so they go in verse 32, it says, and so those who were sent, they went their way and they found it just as he had said to them. Just, I like that, if we could just pause, just as he had said to them. You know, and you could stop there for a moment, man, and, and I hope maybe even underline that, that, that little sentence there. 
you know, just as he has said to them. You know, that's life for us as a Christian, something to take to heart. You know, that God has given us his truth. It reminds me of the book of Joshua, not one word failed. Every single promise, every single word came to pass. It's just as he has said to us. You know, and we can take his word into life, into every situation, and we could, we could live there. You know, when you find yourself struggling and hurting and dying inside, and you don't want to go on, you don't know what to do. You know, you can just take all of his word, all of the different promises that he has, and you can remember them, and you can just know that it's just as he has said to us that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. That if anyone lacks wisdom, just pray. God will show you. God is faithful. You don't have to worry. He's awesome. You know, that you go through life. And I talk to people all the time, you know, being in the ministry. And you probably do too. But I talk to a lot of people who want to commit suicide. I talked to one gal this week. She's already tried it four times. The last time she took 27 pills. They don't want to go on, you know. And it's at times like that where, you know, you can stand on the word of God and, you know, the promises. He said, listen, I will never give you more than you can bear. I'll bear it with you. I'll never leave you alone. The promises of God. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But let me tell you something. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that more abundantly, even through all the trials of life. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, it produces endurance. It produces patience. And I just really pray that that's the type of confidence we would have in his word, just as he has said to us. I mean, these guys go into the village, and it's just as if, you know, he had said to them, verse 33, but as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, well, the Lord has need of him. And so they brought him to Jesus and they threw their clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. And then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples, they began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. We find our study today that it was time for Jesus to come. And so he has to set everything up the way that it's supposed to be set up. You know, we find that they go, Jesus tells them in advance all the details. They're obedient to him. I like this, you guys, and just in case you might want to even take note of this, he told them what to say. If you're in this situation, let me put my words into your mouth. I, don't you like that? Because some of us here, we put our foot in our mouth, huh? <laughs> Some of us here, we just say the wrong thing. Why? Because we're not really praying and asking God for the very words, you know? The Lord says, hey, if this guy's got a problem with it, just tell him this, that the Lord has need of it. 
And so what ends up happening? Well, in the time for Jesus to come, three things. Number one, there's praise. There's praise. What they do is they take their clothes and they put it on the donkey. They take their clothes and they put it on the road like a royal red carpet rolled out for the coming king. Uh, Some of your translations, it uses the word um, cloak because that's probably what it was. It was the outer garment. And so for us, it would be your jacket. You got your leather jacket. Man, you spent 100 bucks on it, right, or whatever it is. And you just, you know, in those days, how many jackets did did most of them have? One, one. But they would just lay it out there for the coming king. There was something special. They were beginning to kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together, and they were kind of understanding who he was, and they're just praising him, right, the way that they should. And, you know, I want to encourage you to learn from this. You know, maybe you're here today, and you're like, you know what, I want to praise the Lord. But I don't have a lot to give. You know, as a matter of fact, I don't have a very good voice. And a lot of you could probably say that here today, right? Because I heard you guys, man. And I don't have a very good voice. Maybe you're even here today and you're like, well, I don't have a very good heart. I don't have a very good life. You know what? I don't know. I don't know how all that works, but I do know this. Just give it to him. Give him your, your cloak. Give him your heart. Give him your song. Give him your life. And watch what he does. You know, what we find is that they're praising him. Uh, We see that here. And and as a matter of fact, they're praising in such a wonderful way that the Pharisees get pretty upset. In verse 39, some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd and they said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. It was a crazy scene, if you can visualize it. And remember, this is the Sunday before Jesus dies. So what is that called? You guys know? Palm Sunday, right? Matthew tells us that they took down branches in Matthew 21. Luke tells us that they took down leafy branches, right? I mean, sorry, Mark 11. And then John chapter 12, verse 13 says that they were palm branches. And so they had the clothes and they had the palms and they're praising the Lord, right? And, you know, it's pretty loud. It's all of them there. They're coming before. They're coming behind. Pretty impressive. But let me tell you something. When you begin to praise the Lord and worship him like that, I'm telling you this, the devil hates it. And so what does he say? Literally in the Greek, tell them to stop immediately. Literally in the Greek, that's what he says. But what does the Lord say? Man, you know what? If they didn't say anything, the rocks would cry out. Why? Because this was a moment in the history of the world that was unlike any other moment in time. And we're going to get into this. It was a time to praise God, you know, for so many reasons. You know, when you read the Bible, it's real interesting to me how you see creation praising God. You know, you read Psalm 148, Psalm 96, you're going to see creation praising God. You know, the Bible speaks about the trees and the hills and the oceans and the rivers and the mountains and the valleys and the cattle and the creeping things and the birds and the fields, all giving praise to God. The creation praises God. You know, it's interesting to me, even this uh, colt, this foal of a donkey. Now, you know, no one's ever ridden it before. Okay, now think about that for a second. You know, why did Jesus want a colt that had never been ridden? 
Is it because he thought, well, if someone else has ridden it, then it's got the cooties? No, I don't think so, right? He was going to make a point, and the point is this, that this creature that is filled with all its testosterone, that's never been ridden, never been tamed, submits to me. The rocks would cry out. Creation was submitting to him, yielding to him. What do donkeys, what are they mostly known for? Stubborn. Stubborn. Like a lot of you. Right? Like a lot of us. The bottom line is the reason why you're still in the situations you're in sometimes is because you're stubborn. You just won't die. See, sometimes that happens, so we can relate to this. And here's a donkey teaching us a lesson. I mean, there was no problem riding the donkey down the road, right? And, you know, I think about that, and I think about, well, here's something that's, uh, you know, that was, you know, created so much differently than we were, you guys. You remember, when you were created, you were created um, with God's hands, Remember, that's what the Bible says about man. He fashioned them with his hands, you know, and then it says he breathed into them the breath of life. He breathed into you. He made us with his hands, and he made us in his image. And why is it that inanimate creation, so to speak, that doesn't have the same, you know, um, I guess the advantages that we have, why is it that they're able to submit And why is it that we struggle so much? Well, it's because I have a freedom, right? And I'm not a robot. But why do you take that freedom and use it for licentiousness? See, now as a Christian, you want to know something? I'm free. But I'm free to serve him. And that's the way it should be. And we should praise the Lord with all our heart. The enemy is going to say, don't do it, but... On that first day, it was Jesus' time to come, that Palm Sunday. We see the praise and we see the prophecy. Now again, why did Jesus need the donkey? They tell you what's up, Tom. Jesus needs it. The Lord needs it. Why does he need it? Do you think it was because he was getting tired? No way. He's not like us. You know, we go up a few stairs and we're like... (sighs) Where's the elevator, right? (laughs) The Lord's not like that. I'm telling you this, and I know this, man, that he was in shape, man. He was always walking. When he suffered the scourging and the cross, you know, he did not die right away. Some of us, man, we would just, we probably would have died of the scourging, but he was in shape. He was buff. I have a feeling that, you know, it wasn't that he was tired. It wasn't like, oh, I need a ride now. Give me a bike. No, He needed the donkey because he wanted to fulfill a prophecy, huh? Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, where the Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's just having salvation. Lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, The reason he needed this donkey was because he was presenting himself in a very formal way. It was kind of like, you know, I I don't know. I remember one time I was in the third grade and this little girl, Michelle Madrid, she liked me. And so they all brought her out to me and they said, Manny, do you like her? I remember that, man. And I was so shy. I said, no, even though I did. But, you know, that's a different story, right? 
But it's kind of like that, but magnified infinitely, a hundred million times more in significance. It was like God was presented, this presented on that day, and you know, it was like, do you like Him? Do you want Him? Do you receive Him? You know, Zechariah nine verse nine. Psalm chapter 118, verse 26. That's what they were quoting from right there in verse 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Everybody knew that was a messianic psalm. Everybody knew that. You know, this was pointing to the Messiah. This is the Savior now coming, right? I mean, the praise, the prophecies, and probably the most significant one of all is in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 26. And you've got to know this if you're a Christian. Okay, you've got to know this one, man. Because this is the one, it says in Daniel chapter 9, it says, know this, knowing this, that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the coming prince, there's going to be 67 weeks and 62 weeks, right? And what's 62 plus 7? 69. We graduated. Yes, we did, right? (laughs) 69 sevens. And so that's 69 seven-year periods. Nehemiah chapter 2 tells us the date. All you have to do is take it March 14th, 445 B.C. Use the Jewish calendar, 360 days, 173,880 days. It takes you to April 6, 32 A.D., the very day that Jesus came in on the donkey. The very day. This is your day. Look what he says right there in verse 42. If you had known, even you, especially this, your day. This was their day. This was the day that the Messiah would come. And I know you guys know this. Later on he talks in verse 44 of the time of their visitation. This was the day that they should have known. You know, you guys probably remember as you're reading through the Gospels how all the other times Jesus wouldn't accept this public adulation. You know, when they tried to praise him, he would say, be quiet, don't tell anybody. In John chapter 6, when they wanted to crown him king, he said, no, don't do it. He went away, he prayed. Remember? And, and so now, why is it different? Why is he not only receiving their praise, but he's setting the whole thing up? Because now was the day of their salvation. Today was the day. Right? And the Spirit was moving, and people were making decisions. You know, we see that apply to them, and maybe it might be good to apply it to ourselves. Today is the day of visitation. You know, and in many, in many ways, I, I think, and I, I got all honesty, today's your day. Some of you here, maybe you don't know the Lord. Today is your day of salvation, man. Well, you don't want to miss this opportunity. You know, Jesus is presenting himself to you. It's not a church. It's not a pastor. Man, you don't want any of that in and of itself. It's God. It's the living, loving God. It's the Savior of the world presenting himself to you. And at the same time, I think there's a lot of Christians that are at crossroads. It's up to you, man. Do you want to continue to live in your vomit, you can. You know, God is good. God loves us so much. But we have to make those decisions. And when the Lord presents himself to us and he says, you know what, here's an opportunity for us to walk in his power. 
that we would not just say, you know what, I've got to have some pozole after church, man. I'm sorry, but i got things to do. You know what, i got to go do the laundry, man, and i got to wash my car. And you're thinking about it right now. You're thinking about whatever it is. And here, God is wanting to talk to you and to you as Christians and say, you know what, I love you. I love you so much. Whatever you do, don't sell out cheap. Absolutely surrender your life. You know, when I see this right here, and I think that God circled this day, and I know for me, you know, I find myself, a lot of times people think, well, pastors don't got any problems, right? You know, and let me tell you something, I do. I've got my struggles. You know, I try to praise God. I really try to praise God. And then all hell breaks loose. And so there I am, I find myself on my knees in my garage. And I ask God, help me figure this out. Because I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, Lord. Because the enemy is real, right? None of us are exempt. We've got to battle. And the Lord, a lot of times, you know, he'll tell me, well, Manny, you know what? You can't figure this out. You just got to draw near to me. I'll take care of it. But you've got to trust me. And sometimes that's hard to do. You know, I saw this movie this last week, a kind of a cool movie. It wasn't a perfect movie, but I think overall it's a good message. It's called October Baby. And it was talking about just um, life. It was talking about forgiveness. And one of the, the, the plots in the story is between a, a dad and his daughter. And, you know, when your daughter, when your kids get older, obviously it's kind of hard to let them go. And one of the lines in the story, I could really relate to it. He said, you know, sweetheart, it's not that I don't trust you. It's that I'm learning to trust God again. And I think we can go through that in life where we have to learn to trust God again. In every situation, all I know is this, you know, that as we go through life and the Lord presents himself to me again and again and again because he's so good, I don't want to miss these opportunities. I don't want to say, sorry, Lord, I'm too busy. I've got my religion. No. The Lord presents himself to them. They have to make a decision. You see, it was Jesus' time to come. There was the praise. I pray that we would learn from that. There's the prophecies. They're so important we don't miss. And there's this peace that he offers to us. Notice again there in verse 38. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Look at verse 42. Even if you had known even this day, your day, the things that make for your peace. You see, when Jesus came on the donkey... It meant that he was coming in peace, right? If he would have come on a stallion, that probably would have meant what? War, right? He comes with a donkey, lowly and just, having salvation, and he came to give them peace. You know, number one, peace with God, and then number two, peace of God. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are God's enemy, okay? Now let me ask you a question. If you and God fight, okay, okay, who's going to win? You're like, well, I've been working out, you know. <laughs> Sorry, you know. 
That's why you don't want to be God's enemy. You want to be God's ally. How can I be God's ally? How can I be his friend? Very simple. Humble yourself. Repent of your sins and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Right? So that you can have now peace with God. And then what ends up happening as you grow as a Christian and the more, like, I know it sounds weird, but like the more you receive Christ, the more you enter into the relationship with him, he'll take away all the anxieties, all the worries that we have. You know, I, I get kind of angry. I get upset, you know, because I know that the enemy just wants to rob us of that peace. You know, and I can't even begin to imagine the different situations that you guys are going through with your marriage and with your children, with your finances, with the specific strategies of Satan that are custom made to trip you up in life. The people around you that, you know, have died, the physical infirmities, and what ends up happening is, you know, I'm not saying that the devil does all those things, but he magnifies those things. And, you know, we lose this peace that God wants us to have, you know. A lot of times we try different ways of getting peace. And the Lord says in Ephesians chapter 2 that he himself is our peace. It's not a religion. It's not a church. It's not a set of rules and regulations. He himself is our peace. You see, that's what happens when Jesus comes and he offers himself to us. And that's what we see in our text today. It's a peace that the Lord gives in John chapter 14, verse 27, that says that's not like the world. I wonder if there's anyone here today who can use the peace that only Jesus can give, the peace that Isaiah 26, verse 3 says is a perfect peace. You see, we see in our study today Jesus' time to come And then we see, secondly, his tears to cry. Because look what it says in verse 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now it's too late. They are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you, and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. It's kind of like the Lord comes over one day. Comes over one day. And you don't answer the door. Wow, missed it by that much. You know, there have been junctures in my life, different days in my life. I can tell you about the day that I got saved. I can tell you about the day that I was, you know, given the gift of tongues. I can tell you about the day the Lord called me into the ministry. I can tell you about the day where, like for a fresh time, God said, here's your cross. I can tell you, we can, there are days like that. Maybe today's a day like that. You know, some people, they want to go to churches that don't talk about hell. They want to go to churches that it's an all-positive environment, and, you know, they never talk about God's, you know, disciplining disobedience. You know, and there are some churches like that. 
you know, where I want it to be all positive. You know, give me, you know, positive. But I pray that we would have a heart that says, give me truth. Give me truth. The Bible says we're to speak the truth in love. And the truth is this, that if you reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you'll go to hell. That he will discipline disobedience. And that's what we see in our text today. You know, the Lord had presented himself to them and he said, this is your opportunity. God was speaking loud and clear. God was showing himself to them, to their heart. The Holy Spirit was moving. There was, this was a day like no other day. But in their hearts, deep in their hearts, they said no. Even though there was a superficial praise, in the end they would be led astray by the religious leaders. And so what did the Lord see? Well, he saw their destruction. In 70 AD, the general Titus from the Roman army He would bring the army. They would surround Jerusalem for 143 days. No one was allowed in. No one was allowed out. They cut off the food supply. If you tried to escape, they would kill you ruthlessly. And so the people began to starve to death. So many people starved to death in Jerusalem that they ran out of places to bury the bodies. And then they ran out of places to carry the bodies. They were in all the ways. They ran out of places in the city to where they would have to pour the bodies, you know, on the other side of the wall. When the walls finally did break in the 144th day, the Roman army went in and a total of one million Jews died. It's a lot of people. But that's what happens when you say, I I don't want you, God. I'm going to do it my way. Does God celebrate? Is God all, yeah, I'm going to get them? Is that how God is? No. What do we read right here? What does it say? It says in verse 41, now as they drew near, who God is. Wept. I don't know if you've had anybody cry over you before, but even if you can't think of somebody, I know God does. He wept when Lazarus died. He wept earlier for the same reason. And I want you to know, you guys, that God cares, man. You know, I I know that you know, there's probably some of you here today that you, you just never cry. You never cry. And I, and I don't know how it works. Maybe you need more salt. I'm not sure how it works, man. Maybe you need to drink more water or something. <laughs> Maybe you were hurt when you were little, you know, and you just cried all your tears away. There's nothing left. Maybe there was a defense mechanism, you know, where whatever it is that you went through in life, you said, you know what, I'm not going to cry anymore. I don't know how it all works, but, you know, there's times when it's very appropriate. And, you know, the God that we serve, the God that made everything, you know, he cries. And I believe that he cries not only when people die and go to hell. I believe he cries when he sees 
know, sometimes Christians that go the wrong way. Sometimes Christians who are living their own life, not choosing, you know, to love, not choosing to forgive. I don't know. I, I just know this. You know, they say that you're not really friends with someone until you've cried together. Now, there's just something, this bonding that takes place. There's something special about that. And when I see the Lord in this story today, and remember, time's winding down, and we're getting to know how he is. I see Jesus and his time to come that day. I see Jesus and his tears to cry over the loss of souls. And then I see Jesus with the temple to clean. Because look what it says in verse 45. And then he went into the temple and he began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. He's about to die. Jesus is still teaching. I love that. To the very end, he's still teaching. You guys know that um, there were many times they tried to kill him, huh? Many times. But why weren't they able to kill him yet? You guys know? Because his hour had not yet come, right? His hour had not yet come. Still his hour had not yet come. But his hour was coming, right? And as he goes back to Jerusalem, he actually cleanses the temple on Tuesday. I mean, sorry, Monday. He goes back on Sunday. Monday he cleanses the temple, okay? And what he does is he goes into the court of the Gentiles, Now, the court of the Gentiles was the place, you know, where the Gentiles could go. They could come in here and no further. And so the Gentiles would come from all over the world to try to, you know, find the living God, right? But what was happening in there was the religious leaders had set things up to where it was like a big, you know, swap meet almost. It was like a a marketplace, you know, you would have to bring your sacrifice to Jerusalem, and so you bring your sheep, and you're like, wow, this is my, my cleanest sheep that I have. And then they would look at your sheep, and they'd say, sorry, it has a defect, man. you got to buy one of ours for 300 bucks, right? That's what they were doing there, ripping the people off. You would have to go to Jerusalem and pay the temple tax, which was two days' wages, but you had to pay it in their currency. So when you exchange your money, they would rip you off. What we find is that they were actually using this Gentiles, this court of the Gentiles, to take shortcuts. You know, i got to get over there, and I don't want to go all the way around, and so I'm going to jet through the shortcut. Kind of like some of you guys here do at gas stations when you do that. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> so I'm going to take some shortcuts, right? And the Lord said, you know, when he went in there, he said, man, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. How can the Gentiles come in and find me and pray to me when you're acting like this? You know, the Jews were not only supposed to allow them to pray. Did you know that the Jews are supposed to evangelize them? As they're coming from all over the world, like that Ethiopian eunuch, he came to the temple, he didn't find God, right? They were supposed to evangelize them. You know how it is sometimes when you try to pray and there's a whole bunch of noise? The dog starts barking, the cat starts meowing. 
The birds start making their noise. The kids are crying. You know, your wife, oh, sorry, sweetheart, you know, let me pray right now. You know, sometimes I'm here in the office and there's a lot of activity going on and it's hard for me to, you know, to really seek the Lord. They were making it impossible for the Gentiles. It was a mess. And so what did the Lord do? Did he call a a meeting and say, hey, can I talk to you guys for a second? What did he do? Oh, man. He went in there and he cleaned house, huh? He overturned tables. He got a whip. He drove them out. He yelled at them. He, Man, it's amazing when you see the zeal that he has for his house. That's what it says. It says, zeal for your house has eaten me up. And so where's the temple now? Well, the temple now is the, UCN, the church universal, Ephesians chapter 2. The church now is the, the, the temple now is the church congregational, 1 Corinthians 3. But the church now is the individual, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Your life, your heart is a temple. And you know, part of the reason I think that we get so passionate when we preach, and I think part of the reason that you know, we hear the Lord's voice and sometimes maybe it's a little loud or, or maybe you feel it's a little bit too firm or whatever it might be. It's because, you know what, those things don't belong in your heart. I mean, this is supposed to be a holy place. As a matter of fact, the Greek word is holiest of holies, where God lives. And, and God wants to go in and God wants to clean house. How many of you here, just out of curiosity, your houses are dirty at home? you got laundry and you've got... How many of you here are hoarders? No, I'm just joking. I want to ask you that. <laughs> Cobwebs and uh, you name it, man. There's so many things that need to be cleaned. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about how I was talking to my daughter one day and, and we're t- you know, trying to tell her you know, about cleaning and stuff. And she said, well, I'm just going to hire one of those. uh, (laughs) She's just messing around with this, right? At least I think she is. But anyways, there are those people, huh, that you hire them, and they know, like, all the chemicals and all the things. Some of you ladies probably wish you had someone, and they come in, and they just clean your house up really nice, huh? That would be cool, huh? Um, The only reason I mention that to you is because if you can kind of visualize that, I've got a dirty house, a lot of work to do, I need help. I need help. You have a helper. You have a helper. Jesus Christ will come in. And if you let him, he'll clean house. It might hurt. He might overturn a couple of tables and he might whip you into shape. But if you let him clean house, he will. Remember in John chapter 13 when he was there and all the guys had been walking through town, they have dirty feet, toe jam, everything you can imagine, right? Nobody wanted to clean the feet, but what did Jesus do? He girded himself with a towel, he got a basin of water, and he began to wash their feet. It says he loved them to the uttermost. He loved them to the guttermost. He knew that he was, it says right there, he knew he was going to the cross, and he knew he was going to have the crown. I mean, you know, he was in this place. He knew that Judas was going to betray him, everything. 
But it wouldn't stop him from washing their feet. And so when he came to Peter, you guys remember what happened? What did Peter say? You're never going to wash my feet, Lord. He was very, very religious and self-righteous, right? And what did the Lord say? Well, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you have no part with me. And so Peter said, okay, Lord, give me a bath, right? And the Lord explained it. He said, listen, he said, you guys are clean. Not all of you, but you guys are clean. And the one that's clean, all I got to do now is wash their feet. And that's the way it is for us as Christians. If you're a Christian, you know, thank God that we're clean positionally. But we still need him. Desperately need him to wash our feet. And I know it sounds crazy, but our God is so loving. Our God is so humble, so faithful, that he will always wash your feet if you let him. All you got to do is, you know, you turn from your sins and you trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. And then you just continue to just surrender these areas of your life to him. God, I can't do this. I need your help. Please help me with this. And it's so cool what he does. You know, I know that in my life, there's always things that pop up. And God says, okay, now that the heat has been turned on and this is skimmed to the surface, now you have a choice and it's an opportunity, Manny. Will you let me skim it off? Will you let me do a new work in your life? You see, my prayer today is that we would know this Jesus that we have. And I like the way it even ends right here. And then it says in verse 47, and he was teaching daily in the temple, right? Verse 48, these religious leaders weren't able to do anything. Why? For all the people were very attentive to hear him. I love that. Here it is. And that might be, you know, like a little safeguard. The enemy comes against you. The world comes against you. And your flesh comes against you. But you want to know something? If we are attentive, one version says they hung on his every word. If we are attentive to the Lord, the enemy, all the enemies accumulated will not be able to do anything. And that's so cool when I think of that. I love studying God's word. And I pray that you would too. You know, maybe there's some of you here today, you're at a crossroads in your life. And today's the day you're supposed to become a Christian. Or today's the day where the Holy Spirit comes upon you in a new way, in a powerful way. And that we would receive, um, like it says in the book of Acts chapter 2, the fire, the fire of God, uh, the wind of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues and the courage and the boldness to witness, you know, like like never before. So let's pray. Lord, I, I just want to thank you so much, Lord, that it's never, ever, ever just another service or never, ever, ever just another, you know, word or Bible study, so to speak, Lord, but it's always an opportunity, Lord. Father, I thank you for those that you brought today, Lord. Um, you love them. I know you want to do a new work in us, Lord. I pray that we will have learned, Lord, from the lessons of Jesus' time to come, Jesus' tears to cry, and Jesus' temple to clean. Lord, I am excited when I think of the potential, when I 
Think of, Lord, the lives that are represented here, the families. Lord, but I'm also concerned, Lord. I pray, Lord, that there would be no one here where when the word goes out, it falls among the weeds and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches would choke the word in any way. Lord, I pray today by your grace and your power and your miracles, Lord, that the word would fall on good ground and soft soil and that it would bring forth not just 30-fold, not just 60-fold, but Lord, I pray to you that your word would bring forth a hundredfold fruit in the lives of my brothers and my sisters. We love you. We thank you so much for the word of God, for the spirit of God, for the grace of God, for the love of God. Lord, I pray you would awaken us. And I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand together if you need prayer.